All right, joining us now is our good friend Josh Parcell. He does a radio show in Charlotte, North Carolina on WFNZ. What's going on, Josh? Uh, how are you, man? I'm doing well, guys. It's been a while. Hope you guys are doing well. Yeah, we are. Josh, what's it like for you doing the daily radio thing? <laughs> uh, man, I, uh, I have a lot more respect for guys like you. Uh, I've been doing it now for like nine months, and uh, it's a blast, man. It, sometimes you sit back and you wonder, do we really get paid to do this? So it's uh, it's it's great to know that uh, great to know that I got a good gig and that we have a lot of fun here in Charlotte. Well, let's talk a little bit about what's going on with the Hornets and specifically Kimball Walker, Josh. What's the vibe around yeah. Charlotte right now about the odds of him re- re-signing and what ramification, or I guess what it would take for him to do so? Uh, very very nervous, I think, for a lot of Charlotte fans. And um, you know, this this guy's the best Hornet ever. I mean, he's the best player. To, he's the leading scorer, leading assist guy. Uh, he's broken so many franchise records. He's beloved by the city of Charlotte. Um, so it's only natural that the fans are terrified uh, at the idea that he may leave. And this has been something that had, I guess, been brewing for about a year, maybe two, uh, knowing that this free agency was looming. Uh, and for the Hornets, they went all in on, on trying to win with him instead of maybe potentially moving him. And, uh, you know, now that they're here and they weren't able to move him or they didn't try, and now they may risk losing him for nothing, I think there is a, a, a absolutely a sense of heightened anxiety around the fan base, at least, that they may lose their most beloved player ever. Have there been any whispers about which way he's leaning or where he's leaning? Yeah, I mean, I don't have any concrete information, but I do know we have Rick Bennell, who writes for the Charlotte Observer, and has been covering the, the Hornets and Bobcats for 30 years. And he, he wrote back in, I want to say March, uh, he said flat out in the column, I no longer believe that Kemba Walker will be a Hornet in 2019, 2020. So uh, he seems to believe that, that Kemba is on the way out. Uh, and if you listen to Kemba going back to you know, before the season, and, and late last summer he was on J.J. Reddick's podcast, he uh, spoke to a handful of other media members. He spoke to myself uh, at Media Day right before the season kicked off, and he reiterated his love for Charlotte, how he wanted to build a winner in Charlotte, and, and he wanted to, to keep his family here. Yet you get to January and February, and all of a sudden he pops up on the jump with Rachel Nichols. He does a podcast with Chris Mannix, with Chris Haynes, and he slowly kind of I don't want to say walks back those comments, but just doesn't go all in on the idea that he wanted to be in Charlotte. You know, he made a comment on ESPN about the front office knows what they need to do if if they want to keep me, and that was sent off shockwaves in Charlotte, to say the least. Um, And and it's interesting where his mindset is right now, because it certainly felt to me like he had backed away from the comments that he had been making leading up to this season that, you know, I really want to be in Charlotte and I don't really want to go anywhere else. Josh Parcell is with us at 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now, is he eligible for a super max extension if he makes All-NBA this year? And if that's if that's the case, would Charlotte offer that, and would that be enough to keep him? So that's a great question. Uh, and we'll find out here in the next, I believe, week or so, you know, the All-NBA teams. And if he makes third-team All-NBA, which he's right in the thick of the, the race for one of those spots for the guards, uh, if he makes that, he goes from – 
five years, 189 in Charlotte to five years, 221. Oof. And that's a huge difference uh, for, for a Charlotte team that's already kind of strapped financially. Um, but it kind of makes it interesting, this whole idea of the Supermax, because you've seen it backfire on some teams, especially small market teams, where it was designed to encourage these, to, or, you know, encourage these players that are maybe in these smaller markets to stick around. And yet we've seen a handful of guys who, who have rejected that idea and, and moved on. Or you've seen teams trade a player before it even gets to the point of having to offer them that Supermax. You think about the Bulls with Jimmy Butler, uh, the... Um, there's been a handful of others, but uh, like Kawhi in San Antonio is another great example. So, you know, you're just seeing, you know, certain situations where these guys have a Supermax uh, eligible or they're eligible for it. and uh, They don't get it for one reason or another. I don't believe that it is in Charlotte's best interest to offer Kimball Walker a Supermax. And quite honestly, I don't know that it's in their best interest to offer him a Max either. Uh, they're a team that has a litany of bad contracts. Uh, they're not flexible with their salaries enable, uh, that would enable them to build a competitive roster around Kemba. If they had more cap flexibility and they had some contracts so that they could get off of quickly, then maybe I could be talked into Kemba Walker at you know $35 million a year. But the reality is six-foot point guards entering their you know late 20s, really going into 30s, being paid $35 million, it doesn't usually end well. And as great as Kemba Walker has been over the last two to three years, I have a feeling that we've seen the best of him, and I wouldn't want to pay him or overpay him going into his 30s when he starts to decline. What do you make of what you're seeing in the uh, in the uh, NBA playoffs? Well, I, I, listen, I, I understand that this is the biggest debate in all of basketball right now is are the Warriors better off without Stephen Curry, and or without Kevin Durant, rather. And I I believe that they are. Uh, it's It's been really fascinating to watch, and, Without getting into the whole debate about whether or not they're better, I just think that they're more fun. And their rejuvenation uh, since Durant has gone out has honestly made for a more exciting last two weeks of the playoffs. And we've had some great series, but, you know, you go back to two years ago, Cleveland and Golden State lost, I want to say, one game before they met in the NBA Finals. There was just no drama. There was no uncertainty about around the entire, uh, you know, NBA playoffs. And at least now the Warriors, yeah, they swept the Blazers, but it was exciting to watch them. You felt like you were watching the team that America fell in love with for such a long time. And then you're going to get some intrigue in this uh, Milwaukee series. I really think that Toronto is going to push this thing to six or seven and uh, maybe even win it. So I, uh, I've loved the playoffs, especially the last couple rounds. And I think it would be in the NBA's best interest. We're seeing it play out in front of our, our own eyes that if Kevin Durant does leave and, and wherever he ends up, likely New York, I think it will be good for the NBA, uh, and it will be good for the Warriors. Josh, what kind of owner is Michael Jordan? Is he real hands-on? Is he somebody that lets the basketball people do their thing, and he comes out here to play golf in Park City? What kind of owner is he? <laughs> he is extraordinarily hands-on, um, and that has been one of the, I think, issues that has plagued the Hornets for, for a long time. And Listen, the guy's the greatest player of all time. I, I mean, I'm not breaking any news by saying that. He's very confident in his understanding of the game. Uh, he he is very uh, he has strong convictions about what's best for the franchise. But you know, you think about it. Ever since he became the director of operations in '06, and then the majority owner uh, three or four years later, the Hornets haven't won a playoff series. And he has a very poor track record of drafting. He has his 
team, the franchise, has a poor track record of developing homegrown talent. And, you know, there's a very famous story in Charlotte that, I mean, it's, it's not a secret that, you know, the Hornets rejected four draft picks from four first round draft picks from the Celtics back uh, in 2015 for, for Frank Kaminsky. And they, or for the ninth pick, which turned into Frank Kaminsky. And that, obviously, people look back on that as a huge misstep by ownership. And Jordan basically stepped in and said no. Michael Jordan was also the guy who wanted Malik Monk uh, when Steve Clifford, the head coach at the time, wanted Donovan Mitchell, ironically enough for you guys. So, you know, you can thank Michael Jordan for, for, for Donovan Mitchell <laughs> being on the Jazz because Steve Clifford was banging the table for, for Mitchell at 11 and. Michael Jordan won a Malik Monk, and he got Malik Monk, and so far Monk has has come nowhere close to living up to the the potential that you know we saw from him in Kentucky in one year. So yeah, Michael Jordan's been very hands on, and and it's been a problem for a long time. He's not James Dolan, you know. I, I wouldn't liken him to that, but he's certainly in the the conversation as one of the worst, and, and arguably one of the least successful owners in the NBA. Are you ramping up for college football already? Hey man, I got my Athlon magazine yesterday. I've already poured through about half of it. I I can't wait. You guys, I know, are expecting uh, could be an exciting year out there in the Pac-12. I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I I'd like to think uh, you coming on with us on the reg during college football season helps you keep an eye on the Utes. And Athlon, I believe, had the Utes at 13 in their preseason poll. Any thoughts on on Utah and, uh, and that squad they're bringing back? Yeah, they, I like the squad they're bringing back. You know, I like the talent they've got on offense. And I'll be honest, though, I, I, I think the Pac-12 South is you know, probably the weakest division, maybe the ACC Coastal. I think those two are probably the weakest divisions in all of college football right now. But the, if there was ever a year for Utah to snag, and I know that they, they made their run at the end of the year last year, but if there was ever a year for Utah to, to sneak up and, and maybe challenge to actually win the Pac-12, I think they've got a great chance this year. Um, the Pac-12 North is going to be very competitive. I think you're going to see a couple of those teams beat up on one another. Washington and Oregon seem to have the inside track in that division. But uh, I like Utah, and I think Kyle Whittingham has done a great job at opening up his offense in the last few years. If they can continue to progress forward in that regard, I think uh, this could be a special year for them in what is a, a very watered-down Pac-12 South. Who else are you liking nationally? Man, I mean, I, I was looking today at the national championship odds. and If you take Alabama or Clemson to win the national title, it, it's a minus 160 favorite. The field is plus 140. I mean, literally those two teams are so far ahead of everybody else. Um, it, it feels inevitable we're going to see a rematch. I would be a little wary of, uh, of Clemson. And I, I think Clemson's very dominant, but... At the same time, they lost a lot of talent on both offensive and defensive lines. Uh, this is a team that barely snuck by Syracuse a year ago. Um, this is also a team that in each of the last several seasons has had some close calls against or losses against some average to, to bad football teams. And you know, th- The thing I think we've seen about with Clemson in the last few years is that their ceiling is as high as Alabama's, but their floor is lower. I mean, Alabama hasn't lost to an unranked team in a decade and, you know, Clemson has these popping up almost every year. So I think I'm a little skeptical of Clemson, but it's hard to find a loss on the schedule. So I still expect them and anticipate them to make the playoff. The team that I'm really excited to watch this year, guys, I'm really excited to watch Oklahoma. I just think that, you know, Lincoln Riley, he came in, he had Baker Mayfield, he had Kyler Murray, 
you know, those were pretty seamless transitions those years. And now he's got to take a guy who is a little bit more limited than, than either one of those guys, the quarterback. And we're going to find out just how good Jalen Hurts can be. And they've got just a terrific group of running backs with Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon. I, I think Oklahoma's going to be really good. And the question for me with them is going to be, their new defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch, worked wonders at Washington State. You guys probably know him really well. He had a bit of a, a, a backslide last year at Ohio State. It didn't really go very well. Obviously, there was a lot of drama around the Buckeyes. But if Alex Grinch can come in and, and rework that Oklahoma defense, I, they could absolutely win the national championship. And they've got a quarterback with, with all the experience that you would want. I think Oklahoma is going to be one of the most fascinating teams in college football this year. Josh Parcell is with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, Josh, the Pac-12 released uh, their financial information yesterday, and last year they distributed uh, a little over $31 million to each school, which means they're more than $20 million behind the SEC and the Big Ten. And we've talked to you for a couple years now about the struggles the Pac-12 has had, not only in football but basketball. Do you think there's a direct correlation between those? Uh, I, I do think there is some. Uh, and if you look at the SEC, for example, which is bringing in money hand over fist, you've got programs now like Kentucky um, and Mississippi State and programs that have not been traditionally very great are all of a sudden popping up and having great seasons. And, and a, lot, a big reason why is their uh, you know, bolstered ability to recruit because they can not only sell the network, but they have the money and the financial backing to build new facilities and uh, attract those recruits. So I think you are seeing that. Um, I'm hesitant to think that we've seen that. I I think the gap will only get wider, I should say. I I don't know that, like, the Pac-12, for instance, not making the playoff in three of the last four years is a correlation of the network itself. But as you do see these other conferences sign on, and we just saw the Big Ten actually paid out more money per per team than, than the SEC did last season, you're seeing these conferences that are, uh, bolstering their their revenue every season and improving, it, it is absolutely a concern for the Pac-12, and it's it's really kind of perplexing when you think about what Larry Scott's history was before he arrived at the Pac-12 as this really successful and savvy businessman who wanted to grow the Pac-12 and globalize the conference, and it just never uh, it hasn't materialized yet. But I think you know ultimately this is a sport where you hire the right coaches, you're going to win games. And USC has had the wrong coach for several years. Uh, Oregon has had a lot of turnover at, at their, you know, obviously their head coaching spot. Washington's been very good, but when you're in Washington, it's very hard to recruit the same caliber of athlete uh, that, and depth of athletes that teams from the Southeast are able to. So uh, I think that that's, um, that's the big difference right now. But the gap could certainly get wider if the money gap continues to grow. Why do you think the, the Pac-12 presidents put up with this? Sorry, I couldn't. I think I lost you guys. What was that? Why? Why do you think the Pac-12 presidents put up with this kind of sort of shabby leadership? That that's a great question, and honestly, I don't know that I've paid close enough attention to know like what the what the conversations are in the background. Um, but it, it seems like it, it, you know the big problem last year was obviously the issue with the officiating, and you know that was a bad look for the conference. They've had a few instances that, of where you would. I think it's reasonable to to question Larry Scott's leadership. I, I I don't know what the future holds for him. It's it's a great question, and 
honestly, I, I, I haven't followed enough of, of that background and what's going on to, to give you a more definitive answer than that. He's usually our college football expert who we bring on during the college football season, but he also does a radio show in Charlotte on WFNZ, bringing him on to talk a little hoops as well. Josh, it's great to hear your voice here in Salt Lake City, and thank you so much for all the insight, man. As usual, great job. Happy to join you guys. You guys take care. Thanks, Josh. Our buddy Josh Parcell. So Kimba Walker's gone? Sounds that way. Where's he going? I don't. You know, the thing is, is deep in their heart of hearts, and I'm sure that, that uh, the fans Josh talks to on a daily basis don't feel this way, it's probably best for Charlotte to let him go and kick into a, to a rebuild because is he good enough if, to, to, if he earns that Supermax, right, if he makes the All-NBA team, yeah. is he good enough to warrant that payoff or payout and to build around? I don't think so. I don't think so either. And, and Charlotte has some bad contracts on the books that aren't going anywhere for a little while. So if they did do that, there's no way for them really to make their team any better. Nicholas Batum is going to make $25.5 million Ooh. next year and $27 million the year after that. He's got a player option for $27 million the year after that. I think he better take it. Bismack Biombo makes $17 million next year. Marvin Williams makes 15 next year. Cody Zeller makes 14-4 next year and 15-4 the year after that. Now, in 2020-2021, some of that comes off so they'd have a little bit more flexibility, but by that point, Kemba Walker is two years older. It gets back to what you and I have talked about so frequently. When you do have a team that has financial flexibility, you better pay the right guys the money. Yep. And that's what you have experts for, to determine that. It is the single most important aspect, in my opinion, of running an NBA team. Is Go ahead and spend the money, but spend it on the right guys. And when you rattled off those numbers, uh, those aren't the right guys. Nope, they're not. And uh, I thought his answer about Michael Jordan was an interesting one, yeah. too, how he is super hands-on. I'll tell you what, if I were an NBA owner in Michael Jordan's shoes, and maybe this is easier said than done, I'd hire somebody that I really trust, who I think is a real smart guy, and then I'd spend as much time in Glen Wild playing golf as I possibly could. But why, can. why is Michael Jordan even involved in this? Uh, I think the answer, I don't know it for a fact, but if I was going to speculate on it, I would think to get his competitive uh, appetite. To get his, his fix, if yeah. you will. Hmm. Why else? Why dabble with this stuff? He could take his money and, and go elsewhere and probably make a lot more. Although, although equity in NBA teams is pretty sweet. Well, man, and he owns the Jumpman. I mean, Michael's got plenty of things to do with his time, I would think. And I, I'm sure it's, you know, great to have a, a, you know, to own a team to keep yourself in the game. You know, you're you're still part of the NBA. And uh, but with his track record, if he's a real hands-on owner, he's not a good one. Because he, I I had never heard that Donovan Mitchell uh, no, story before, either. where mm-hmm. Steve Clifford really wanted Donovan Mitchell. At eleven, and Michael Jordan wanted Malik Monk. I've, I, I think I have heard that actually, but I don't. Know I had where. not. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, I had heard the New York Knicks one, where um, uh, Jeff Hornacek wanted Donovan Mitchell, and um, Phil Jackson wanted. How do you say his name? I always mess it up. Nikina, Nikina, Kina, or oh, the, the, the French the point French guard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
if I had the name in front of me, I probably could come a little bit closer. But I think you know exactly yes, what I'm talking about. I do. But I had never heard I had never heard that one about Jordan. So that's that's interesting. A lot of things had to kind of fall into place for yes. Donovan Mitchell to make his way to Salt Lake, didn't it? <laughs> Boy, to the benefit of this franchise, that's yep. for sure. Mm-hmm. 